Well, my name is Matt Warren, and I am an elder here at the church. Um, Y'all pray for Mason. He's heading out to Asheville this week for the early part of the week to be on vacation with his family. Um, And I want to say thanks uh, to you for your prayers. Uh, I just got notice yesterday from my committee chair, um, Dr. Jeffrey Chang, that uh, the first two chapters of my dissertation are approved, but not only does that mean they're approved, but I, that means I'm now, uh, he's, he's going to begin the process for me and I'll follow up on that, but I've now offici- uh, uh, um, officially earned my Master's of Theology. Yeah, so that's one step. So it's, uh, it's a little gem like tucked away in the whole PhD process, so that won't actually be conferred on me until December. Um, I think that's the next graduation point, but that's like done. So um, I'm just going to stop here, I guess. Kate, Katie will shoot me. She, she may find somebody with a gun and do that right now. No, I'm not, I'm not stopping. Um, what's that, Will, uh, Danny? Brian? No, I don't know. You know. I'm sure somebody in this room has a gun. We're in the South. So I'm not naming names. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so no, Katie's not going to shoot me. I'm going to press on. Uh, I've already started chapter three and enjoying that work. So I do covet your prayers in that. And I think the, the interesting thing too, is, as, and I, I mentioned these items about prayer, because truly what we're looking at this morning um, is the topic of prayer. And I, I appreciate Mason, like in the midst of our worship set, stopping to say, hey, take a, a moment today, not to just make the worship about singing, but to be about hearts lifted to the Lord in prayer. Um, I know sometimes we do that and it feels maybe a little awkward. Um, I think w- Katie and I have talked about this. When we do prayer in the service and there's like somebody singing lyrics, that's hard. Does anybody else have a hard time like um, multitasking or hearing lyrics and then having their own thoughts? Yeah. So Mason, I appreciate kind of the quiet. There's lots of us around here. Um, so when we do that, the real hope is that we can just give background music for ambiance and not have voices lifted because then that makes, I'm like, I'm singing, but I'm trying to pray. It's like awkward. So some of us are there. Um, so Mason, good job today doing that. Um, but, but here's the other thing. Um, because of where we are in this, this point of the, the book of Timothy, we're, we're looking at First Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, take, take those and open the, them to that book. We're going to be in chapter 2. Um, Timothy, well, Paul is writing to Timothy about some very specific things regarding prayer. And so you'll remember that the, hopefully, that the series title for this message series, as we're looking through 1 Timothy, is a holistic vision for the church. Katie, you got it. Good. Unfading truths for the modern church. Um, it's, it's, these are principles, though, yes, certainly Paul wrote to young Timothy to encourage him about these truths. It's almost, and we looked at this in the introductory remarks, that Paul is also talking to the church as a whole. And he's not being passive-aggressive, but the church certainly needed to know these things as well. So Timothy needed the encouragement. The church needed to be aware of the instructions. And I think for us today, we need these same instructions for us. And there's part of me that thinks maybe even in some in more important ways we need it today. And today is one of those messages that I think it, it may hold a little bit of a mirror up to us about our own prayer lives. And so I want to jump into this. And uh, normally 
I, I go back and we'll talk a whole lot about context. So I'm not gonna I'm gonna talk about some context today, um, but but there's a reason I do that. And I want to explain two of the reasons. First, if you weren't here last week or the week before, you may have missed something. Well, I try to want to like I want to try to connect you back into where we are. I think that's helpful. The second piece is when we understand the context, it helps us really understand what the importance of the text is. Because even though we like this is one of my frustrations with preaching is we tend to extract things out of the text for that message, and it tends to feel like it just stands alone, and that's not always good. Um, there's part of me, and I've mentioned this before, there's part of me that just thinks, how would it have been for them, the early church, just reading the letters of Paul? They'd have probably just sat down at the, kind of in the, the room and just listened to the letter, and they said, read it again. Read it again. And they would, they would have not been having that, that pastor, that shepherd of that church, necessarily unpacking it like we do today. It had just been a focus, deep focus, on, intense focus on the message itself. Now, I think we need the help of preaching. Um, one, because God's commanded it. Two, because the context is uh, we're trying to go back and deal with the historical things. So I'm not discounting what pastoral preaching is. Um, but I, I do think we, at times, could just really benefit from reading again and again the letters. That's why you hear me also encourage you, go back and read these things on your own, because meditating on these things is really, really helpful for you as well as me. Um, so if you remember the, the last couple of weeks, what we've been looking at in Paul's letter to, to Timothy, he's been emphasizing especially these two things, like the problem with the law, and how these false teachers had uh, established themselves as leaders in the church. They were focusing back on the law, and it was a wrong approach to what was going to provide the hearers hope in the gospel. And it, it was actually creating division in the church and causing strife. And ultimately, they were saying, if you do these things, you're going to prosper like physically, tangibly, with material possessions and those kind of things. And so the church was really confused. Paul comes in and says, those guys were false teachers. Don't follow them. I have a true love for the law and its purposes, and we need to remember that the law operates to show us our sin, to make us aware of it, to keep the guardrails on our lives so we don't continue to sin, but we uh, understand what God is calling us to do in obedience to him. And, and so part of this, if you remember, Paul, last week as we looked, he gave his testimony, the power of his testimony, where he said, I once did all these things as a Jew of Jews, and, and I uh, was good with the law, but the law, once it came and revealed itself, or revealed to me that I am a sinner, I saw my need for grace. And so he flips what the, the false teachers were doing, he flips it on its head, and he says, grace is the need we all have when we understand our sin. And so you may remember this is that point in uh, Paul's testimony where he says, I am the chief or the foremost of sinners. And, and he says, because of my uh, position as that foremost of sinner, I needed Jesus Christ and his grace to save me from, from sin. And that was the power of his testimony. And so the, the challenge last week was that each of us has, if we're a follower of Christ, each of us has our own testimony to share with others and how God has worked in our lives by his grace to bring us to faith that shapes uh, the lives of those who hear our testimony to understand their own need for Christ. So simple truths right there, but very, very powerful truths. And so based on that, we come into today's text 
and we're going to see a, a real connecting point, I, I hope and think, um, that's going to help us understand the importance of prayer, which is the title of the message today, the importance of prayer. So let's begin with uh, reading verses uh, 18 and through 20 into uh, of chapter 1, and then we'll read into uh, chapter 2. Um, and we'll, we'll read uh, through verse 5. Uh, so chapter 1, verses 18 and following. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, or God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Um, and let's, let's read verse 6 too. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I picked that up because I think Mason's hit that concept of ransom a couple times in the, the music today. So, um, so let's, let's take a look at the context. So coming out of Paul's testimony, he writes now to young Timothy and gives him some instructions. And these instructions in verses 18 and, and uh, 19 of chapter 1 really set up what he's going to, what Paul's going to teach about prayer that's coming in chapter 2. So here's a little bit of that context. He says for, to Timothy, he says, first of all, I want you to, to uh, maintain what, what has been given to you. And he says, how are you going to do that? To fulfill this prophecy, prophecy that's been maintained or been given about you. In order to maintain that prophecy, you have to do really two things. And that is first, you have to uh, wage the good war warfare or fight the good fight. And he says, holding faith and a good conscience. So he goes on and says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So here's the tension that Paul is presenting to Timothy. If you will wage the good warfare of, and holding on your faith in a good conscience, you will be uh, safe in your faith. You'll continue in that in a healthy way. If you don't, it's going to be shipwrecked. And some have shipwrecked their faith. And, and I, I started thinking about that. And it, it led me to, like, what is the, the whole point of chapter 2? It's based on this. Because if you look back at the text... In chapter 2, he says, first of all, then. So, so that word then helps us know that Paul is basing what he's instructing here in chapter 2, that, that little turn. It's based on, like it's looking back to something else. And that looking back is, how do we prevent our faith from being shipwrecked? And, and so I want, like all of us, to maintain a healthy ship, so to speak, in Paul's metaphor, that we would not be shipwrecked. And in order for us to get to that point where we know what to do to maintain it, we need to know what causes the shipwreck. So, so think about this. Um, oh, man, this just jumped in my brain. We had this little 12-foot boat 
um, growing up. It was a little fiberglass boat. It was called the SS Minnow. And unfortunately, the SS Minnow was fulfilling its namesake all of its life. This little fiberglass boat gave us more fits on the water. We could never find the place it leaked. We, we would turn it over and patch it and patch it and patch it. Um, we could never find the leak. And it was sad. Uh, and we, we were like, we loved the SS Minnow. I, I, I know my dad gave it away to a friend. Um, there's lots of stories about it. But anyhow, so here's, here's my point. With the, the holes of our ship, when they leak, what are we more busy doing? Bailing, right? If we could have patched the SS Minnow properly, we wouldn't have worried about the leaks. We'd have just been able to go on. And so here's, I think, Paul's metaphor. When we don't take care of the little things that create the holes in the hull of our faith, we end up sinking, being shipwrecked on an island. I hope it's not like Gilligan's Island, okay? Um, but you get my point. Now, here's, here's what, so the question is, what are the things that cause the holes in the hull of our faith? Well, the first thing that Paul is addressing with the, the church at Ephesus here and uh, talking to Timothy about is the fact that they were missing sound doctrine. We've seen that again and again, that the false teachers were elevating the wrong doctrine. And so Paul is constantly encouraging them to go back to the sound doctrine, the, thing, the doctrines of grace. That's why his testimony is such an important piece of this. It's yes, he respects the law, he loves the law, and he has a right place. But the law, is do, it does not lead us to salvation. And so what we have to emphasize is the doctrines of grace that help us understand the love that, we, uh, that, love that Christ loves us with. And that's where he goes back and says, fight the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith is when we trust Jesus Christ to provide all of our needs, our spiritual needs according to his riches, according to his power, not according to our own flesh that tries to fulfill the law and present us as righteous. It's only through the righteousness of Christ that we are presented right before the Lord. Does that, does that make sense? It's simple. But here's, here's the next part, though. So we get the sound doctrine right, but if we, and he couples this with the idea of the good conscience. So what does it mean to have a good conscience? I, I think a lot of times, I think it's two things. The first is this, that we can excuse our sin. Like if you go back to Romans 6 and think about what Paul instructs there, he says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? See, there's some people that are saying, well, if we get grace because of sin, well, let's just keep sinning and then we'll get more and more grace. And Paul says, you should never do that. He says, by no means. That is a very emphatic phrase. We don't continue to sin so that we get more grace. Because here's the, the point is if we have a good conscience, we operate according to God's plans so that we're walking in obedience, looking like Christ more and more. We've been talking about this in some circles, um, and, and I think this, this will actually come out today in uh, the, the readout for, from the church health team. But what does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of Christ? We, we were talking about it in men's ministry yesterday. That, that being a follower of Christ means that we take on his attitude, his attributes, that we live in such a way that we honor Christ's values and his practices again and again. And we, we talk about this, and I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, and yesterday again, I'm, I'm going to mention it again. If you look at our logo, 
There are these six marks, and they're, they're measures or marks of what a true disciple is. These are not just theoretical, philosophical things, folks. These are things, and as I walked through these with the guys yesterday, and I'm going to do it real quickly here, these are the things that Christ did. So when you think about Jesus being a worshiper of God, how did, you can read John 17. He, in that high priestly prayer, he talks about how he glorified the, God, the, the Father through his life. How, how incredible is that? He knew that his ministry was to bring glory to God in all things. That's worship. He was a person of prayer. Think about the number of times that Jesus would go away when he was tired or exhausted or when something major was about to happen in his life. He would disappear into like a private place and he would spend time in prayer, devoting, devoting himself to the Father's will and gaining wisdom for the Father. I think about that especially like before he started the ministry and called the disciples. He was on a mountainside praying by himself. I think he needed to understand in his earthly um, capacity how the Lord would, would call him to call the specific people to be his disciples. Constantly a person of prayer. He had a mind for the truth. Think about when he, uh, I mentioned this, when he went to the synagogue and opened the scroll of Isaiah and said, today this is fulfilled in your, your presence. It, it, he knew the word. Not just because he was the word, but he was invested in the study of the word. He was a person who had a heart to steward the resources of God. Everything he did was about service to his heavenly father. Uh, he had a hand to serve people. Somebody mentioned yesterday he was humble enough to wash the disciples' feet. I think about the miracles that he performed when he fed the 5,000, the 4,000, when he was uh, doing other things just to minister to the needs of people. He was constantly serving those around him. And then obviously he had feet to go. His going was different than ours, but he left the comfort of heaven in his uh, incarnation. He came in the flesh to serve us, to bring the hope of the message that, that, that he came to fulfill God's plan so that we might have life. So, so when we talk about being a follower and we talk about these marks or measures of a disciple, it's, it's not just like this theoretical thing that is cool out of the logo. It's about us driving to be more and more like Christ. And see, that's what... Timothy is learning from Paul. In order to be a, a person of a good conscience, you're fulfilling these objectives in your life to be more and more like Christ, not excusing your ill behavior or your wandering as, as we've all confessed. If you were thinking about these lyrics from your heart, we're all prone to wander and leave the God we love. And yet, Paul's encouraging Timothy, operate in a good conscience so that your faith is not shipwrecked. Isn't that good stuff? And it's so practical for us. And it, it's such a good reminder that we have that, that tendency, like those in Paul's day, to allow the holes in our own SS minnows, <laughs> the ships of our lives. And we have a responsibility to prevent ourselves be, from being shipwrecked. So here's, I, I like this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. <laughs> Excuse me. The good conscience, it's a tool that the, that the Lord has given us under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So when we become a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells us and seals us until the day of redemption. And what he does is he uses the word of God to shape our lives. And that begins really with the shaping of our conscience, that inward voice that the Holy Spirit brings to us to say, stay close to the word. So he is the one that brings this conviction of sin, a desire for repentance, and a correction of, correction of doctrinal error 
as we see our lives realigning to proper faith and response to Jesus Christ. See, apart from if we, if we like resist the work of the Holy Spirit, our conscience is getting seared and we won't walk in obe- obedience and we then crumble in fighting the good fight of faith and that good conscience wavers and we get shipwrecked. So, Paul gives all this information to Timothy and then he turns in chapter 2 to say, first of all then, so like, here's the warning sign, like don't go this route, but then he gives this first step on how to maintain the healthiness of your ship's hull, so to speak. To to make sure that we're walking right in the Lord so that we maintain the good fight of faith and that we maintain a good conscience. And so he says this. Let's look back at the text. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. It's simple. Paul says pray. Be people of prayer. Hello? That ought to go back to like like just make your mind think back a couple months ago we were in a series on the importance and the power of prayer this morning I've hit the measures or the marks of what a disciple looks like just like Jesus he is a person of prayer we need to be people of prayer now I think this is an interesting place that that Paul does something here because he uses four terms for prayer and and I want to go through those and I'm going to elevate what the terms mean but then I'm going to give you another perspective on this. So first of all, he talks about supplications. What are supplications? These would be petitions in which people recognize their needs and pressing necessities. Look, let's face it, all of us have needs of some kind. And I'm not talking mostly about physical needs. Like yesterday, I thought I was going to be a good steward in my house, um, so I went and I drained my water heater to get all the sludge out. So later in the day, guess what happens? I turn the hot water on. The, the water's lukewarm. The, I kept looking as the day, the day went on. Juliana took a shower. She goes, I had a cold shower. And I'm like, oh, no, what did I do? And somehow the thermo plier, I don't know what it's called, thermopile, is that it? Who's the water heater guy that's going to come to my house today and help me? Nobody's raising their hands. Okay. Um, I don't blame you. So the thermopile, it's not a thermocoupler. I don't know the difference, but I know there's two different terms. So it says it on the water heater, okay? So that's the only way I know it's not a thermocoupler, Debbie, okay? So <laughs> y'all, it's, it, I, it's, it's not funny. We're, we're, I, I showered here at the church this morning, so I had hot water. Um, I'm not showering cold anymore. Um, so the thermopile somehow got messed up. So um, I don't know where I was going with all this now. What's, oh, the, oh, yeah, we have physical needs. So I have a need, a necessity, but that's really not the deeper necessity that I have. Obviously, the deeper necessity is that what used to be a steel trap and hold all these thoughts together is now becoming a rusty box, and my mind is going, okay, yeah. And, and so, but spiritual needs, emotional needs, really those are the things that Paul is talking about, not just the physical, we all have physical, sure, but more importantly, are those spiritual things that he's pointed back to in 1 Timothy that would not shipwreck us in our faith, that we'd have minds to capture the truth of sound doctrine, that we'd be able to stand firm against the enemy who wants to shipwreck our faith, 
that adversary who's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. We need to stand firm against the temptations of the enemy. We need to resist our flesh and put to death those things that, that destroy our faith about ourselves. Those are the things that we need to recognize as the real deep necessities of our life. And, and we need to pray asking God to help us, to supply our, uh, uh, the, the reminder of the Word as we meditate on it, that the Holy Spirit would bring those things up so that we could stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. Th those are the real necessities. And it's not just for us. Paul says to Timothy, we need to pray those things over all people. And we're going to cover that in a minute a little bit more. But, but it's praying those things for our family, praying those things for one another in the church, that we would know one another intimately enough to know the inward struggles, the deep things that really impact our lives so that we wouldn't be shipwrecked in our faith, that we walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. So that's supplications. The second word he uses is prayers. It's a more general term. It just kind of means prayers. But it's, I think this is interesting. It also talks about the place of prayer. Folks, if you don't have a place that you, you pray consistently, I would encourage you, try to find a place where you can like remove all the distractions in your life. Where, where you can stop and, and just be still before the Lord. Having that place is so valuable. But it's also, I think, at other times, just where you are. I, I, there's an old 77, no, it's Lost Dogs song. Anybody listen to Lost Dogs? Man, pray where you are. In the highways, in the factories, in the fields, you know, there's no limits, rules, or boundaries. There's something along those lines. Pray where you are. Pray in your car. Pray wherever you are. Don't worry also just about the place. Pray where you are. Be praying, be praying, be praying all the time. If you don't want your, sh your faith shipwrecked, please pray all the time. The third term is intercessions. Intercessions describe an official petition made to a superior. I think this is just the, the, the point of remembering that prayer is about being dependent in prayer upon the Lord. I think too often our prayers are, I'm, I've got this list of things, Lord, and I want you to meet those things instead of saying, Lord, I've got this list of things. Will you show me how you want to work according to your will in these things? You hear the difference? That too many times it's us establishing our own authority, asking God to do what we want, instead of saying, Lord, have your will in these things. I'm dependently surrendered to you in this prayer. And I'll get to that in a minute, reminding you of our definition of prayer. The fourth is this, that we employ, or Paul employs the word thanksgiving, which emphasizes a trust that God is good in all things, and he is at work in all things. Folks, let, let me just remind you, God is providentially working his plans out in our lives. He is, he is not a God who sits on the throne room of heaven or in the throne room of heaven with his feet up on an ottoman just watching things. He is, through his providence, through his spirit that indwells us, constantly working his will and his purposes out. And Romans 8.28 says that he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, so we know that God is worthy to be trusted. That's why we can give thanks in all things. Now, with all that said, though, though those four uh, pieces like work together, I think, in prayer, there's also a sense of this. 
I think one reason Paul lists all four, it, it's almost they like said, just throw them in a ball of wax, so to speak, and it's just be people of prayer. It doesn't matter how you really approach God, just do it rightly. Approach Him with a, a dependent heart that says, Lord, I am trusting you. And even if you don't go through all four things, it's just that general sense of praying all kinds of prayers. So, so you, you know, if you're praying, truthfully, if you have the right heart, you can't be praying wrong. Does that make sense? But how many of us still struggle to go to the Lord in prayer first in all things? It's me. It's me. You know, and, and then I think even time, at times I remember to do that, and then it's like, oh, I wish I'd done that, and it feels cheap because I forgot. Now, take the first step. Don't worry about it. Just get it right and get better and better and better. Just keep praying all kinds of prayers at all times. And then Paul says this, and I love this, for all people. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a little hermeneutic principle here. I think that Paul, when he uses this term for all people, it's not that I can't, I can't pray for every person individually in this world. That, that's impossible because I don't know every individual, nor do you. And you may say, well, I can get on Facebook and I can scroll. That's not his point, okay? Look at the next part of the verse. He says in verse uh, 2, this helps us understand what he means about all people. Thanksgivings, all these prayers be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. So what he's looking at is this the types of people according to status. So um, I started, like, and, and I'm going to unpack that a little bit more in, in a minute, but I started thinking about this concept. What is the summary of the, the Ten Commandments? When Jesus was asked, what is the summary of the law, how did he reply? Y'all help me. Say, say it really loud because the man, what, soul, mind, and strength. That's it. So I'm going to repeat it because the air conditioning is running. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we're thinking about praying for all people, kings and, and what he says are those in high positions, folks, it, it's, it's loving our neighbors, those that are around us, those that we might know, but, but it's the kinds of people that we encounter doing that well, loving the Lord our God through prayerful dependence and loving our neighbor. That, that's his intent. And, and so here's what I would ask you. Um, well, let, me, let me actually actually give you this first. So when we think about praying for others, I, I want to give you uh, three principles about what this looks like. Pray, praying for others means this, first of all, that we entrust them to God's care. We entrust them to God's care, and I'm going to qualify that, instead of our own controlling purposes. Does that make sense, the distinction? Because a lot of times, I can look at things that are going on in people's lives, and I go, God, if they would just only do this, or if, if this neighbor had not done that to me, and they would do this instead, things would be way better. If Katie would only, and Juliana or my other kids would only, and my agenda, it comes to the top. Praying for other people means this. Lord, I want to know your heart for them. I want to understand your 
goals, your desires, your will for them. And I'm going to pray carefully according to that plan. And, and Lord, I want you to work in that way. Now, let's go to the text and let me prove this a, a little bit more clearly. Because instead of y'all saying, hey, well, Matt's got these thoughts, let me, let me show you what I mean. So look back and uh, verse 2, he says, you know, pray for all these things would be prayed for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Listen to the next part. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. If, if I was praying for other people and it was my agenda for them, what would Paul's pronoun have been about leading quiet lives, peaceful lives, and godly in every way? It had been that they, right? But the point is that Paul's making is it's not me praying for them to be changed, it's me praying that I would ultimately be the one changed in this. That, that my life of prayer would be so responsive to a dependent life upon the Lord that I would then respond by what? Leading a peaceful and quiet godly life, godly and dignified in every way. You get my point? How many times I'm praying that they, the Lord, I, I want, I, I know that these people need prayer, but in this, reveal your heart so that I would be godly, that I would be peaceful in this, that I would live a quiet and dignified life that glorifies you. And certainly it changes them, but the real root of change in prayer, it, it begins with me. Um, so the second, first is pray for others, entrusting them to God's care, not your own agenda. Second, and don't take this as trite, please. But I think the easiest thing we can do for people is to pray for them. I think it's the, the easiest first step. And it can be hard, don't get me wrong. But we can pray from a distance. We, we can pray without conflict resolution. We can pray that, that the Lord would do a work in them. And, and us at the same time, okay? But, but if we're praying that God would just accomplish His will... You know, that's really easy work, even though it's hard. I get the, I get the, the, the work that prayer is. But, but it doesn't take a lot of, like, proximity. It doesn't take res resolve of conflict. It, it doesn't take us being, like, intimate all the time. We can pray without lots of details. Just be in God's will, praying for His work to be done. And that brings us to the third point, and maybe most importantly, because if you'll remember, I want to give you, remind you this definition that we, we got from Tim Keller uh, about prayer. Prayer is a personal, communicative, and I, this is why I love this, response to the, our knowledge, or to the knowledge of God. Let me repeat that. Prayer is a personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. So when we're praying for others, it's not praying our agenda. It's... it's making that first easy approach to understand what God is saying to us about His person and His desire for them so that we can, through that surrendered prayer, learn God's heart, have His heart shaping our hearts towards any relationship and situation that we're facing. Not setting up our own agenda, not pridefully praying for people that they would come to like be shaped by our prayer 
but our prayers would be shaped by that communicative response to our knowledge of God, who He is, what He wants for us. See, it turns all this stuff on its head, doesn't it? How people tell us today we're supposed to do these things. So, so what Paul's getting at, and this is where I think it becomes even most important, is that when we pray in these ways, the effective response of that prayer it, it turns into what Paul describes for Timothy. That's when we begin to lead peaceful, quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. Because the only way that comes about is through surrender to Christ. And, and so I was thinking about this, and um, maybe I ask it this way. So if that's how we're supposed to pray, well, Paul has also told us who we're supposed to pray. Um, it's like, then what does that mean in the reality of our lives? So, so I'm thinking of, like in these terms. A lot of times, and, and I'll just tell you, I don't like where our nation's going. I, that, that's probably an obvious statement for me if you've been here for any length of time and heard the, the messages that we've been focused on, especially when it comes to cultural issues about marriage, family life, sexual identity, those things, our culture has shifted in the wrong direction. And, and my concern is those are decisions that are being made, honestly, at higher levels. I'm not a, a Supreme Court judge, obviously, who in the Obergefell case ruled to allow homosexual marriages to be legal. Uh, back in 2015. So, I need to pray for them because that's kings and higher powers or higher authorities. How do I pray? I pray that the Lord would do a work in them that they would live peaceful, godly, dignified lives. Where does that begin? It's, it's not by me like charging against them in political agendas. It begins with me praying for their salvation. Because I think that's what Paul's ultimately getting at. For, think about this kind of context. If we live a life out of the law and it's wrong, and then Paul inserts his testimony, elevating the, the purpose of God's grace in his life that overcomes our sin. And then he says the charge is to live lives, Timothy, that aren't shipwrecked but respond to the good sound doctrine we need to pray for everyone. See, people have become shipwrecked because they've shelved God's best. And the only return is going to be us praying for kings and people in high positions and all people to come to know Christ. Because the only change, true transformation, is through the power of Jesus Christ. It's not through me talking about political things. It's not my mean hanging a flag on the front of my house that says I've got this kind of political agenda. It's, be, it's by me bowing my knees before the Almighty God and trusting His purposes. Now I'm going to say this in, a, in kind of a side remark too. The unfortunate side of this is we know the world agenda is not really going to change until the return of Christ. And, and then His kingdom, is, His eternal kingdom is established. That doesn't mean I don't pray. It doesn't mean I just give up the, the, the battle. okay? Because I'm going to trust that God in His wisdom and His providence has called me to these things and He may, in His long-suffering, delay those things. Because I don't know. 
So I'm called to be faithful in all those things. So the hope for us is to be people that in our own lives, because I think ultimately it's about our faith not being shipwrecked, I can't control what happens in anyone else's life, but I can certainly be obedient to God and find the blessings of walking in faith with Him, not being shipwrecked, but being satisfied in my own walk with Him. That's the fruit that I gain from being obedient. That's the fruit that you gain from being obedient. So, so I want to bring this down to like a really practical point for just a second more. What are the groups of people, maybe socioeconomic, that, and well, let me back up, what are the groups of, of people that you may feel strained towards or awkward with that, that prevents you from praying for them? You just become judgmental. It, it, it could be socioeconomic. It could be an ethnic group. It could be a life choice group. And, and I'll be honest, stuff with sexual identity, getting around that makes me like stiff. When I, when I encountered homosexual guys especially, or, and, and I'll even say this, guys that have left homosexuality but are effeminate, there's a struggle for me. I've been in a relationship, more, more acquaintance with someone. Um, does anybody know the name Cy Rogers by chance? Um, I'm surprised at that. Um, you can go look him up, S-Y Rogers, Cy Rogers. He's passed away now. Um, give you his story in a nutshell and, and why I share this. Um, he was uh, one of the first candidates with John Hopkins Hospital for uh, uh, gender transition surgeries back in the 80s, I think, if, if I'm remembering his story right. The Lord brought Cy to faith in him, and Cy stopped the whole process, repented, and then he began to, to speak out against the homosexual movement. Um, I got to meet Cy at a conference. Uh, I was the, the sound tech, booth tech, um, for his slide presentation, so I was working with him, trying to understand things. So by the end of the conference week, Cy and I uh, become a, enough acquaintances, we were like um, dispersing from the conference and hug. But I'll be honest, it was awkward. And, and so I share that to say the reality of us all struggling with people who, who we're, we're uncomfortable with will often inhibit our prayers. And in that, when we become inhibited, we're not fulfilling God's purpose to pray for these all people in the right ways. So I think we can rally against the government in our conversation about political things and frustrations rather than praying. It can happen at so many levels in our lives. God is calling to us to pray for all people with all kinds of prayers. So that's my own confession, trying to model how I want to work through these things. And, and, and so that when someone comes into the church, and we've had them come into the church recently, that's, you know, transgender or dealing with those things, I, I don't want to be set apart. I want to be praying for them rightly for the Lord to do a work in them and a work in me too. Because it's by... God's grace that I'm not in the same place. Okay? And I think that's the humility that we have through prayerful dependence that the Lord uses in us to draw people to Himself. Because, the, again, Paul's call is that people would know Christ. Let's look back at the text real quickly. Pick up in verse 3. He said, This is good. 
And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wow. And I, I, I'm not saying, and, and I'm going to go back to the context for just a moment. I don't think that that's a, the, the Lord desiring every person, like in that sense, to be saved, okay? E- even though he does desire all people, he offers God, the gospel to all people. But that all people is all types of people there, okay? So just that, that's something that can be clarified at a later time, but I just want to mention that the context is for the all people rulers, high, high positions, types and kinds of people. So, where are we? Where, where are you resistant to the Lord in these things? How is your life of prayer? H- how are you struggling with the people that are different from you? How is the Lord convicting you of your responsibility to live a godly life full of peace, quiet, and dignified because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you? It's a simple call, but boy, oh boy, it's a serious response level on our part, so that as we pray and Christ is lifted up, Christ draws people to himself. That's the hope that we offer. So let's pray together, okay? And here's how I want to do this this morning. It's going to be just a a little bit different. Um, I I want to first do this. I'm going to to do three things. One is for your, uh, just to have about 30 seconds of reflection, and that would be for you to say, yeah, Lord, like Matt's confessed, there's, there's people that I struggle to pray for. Lord, I want to confess that to you right now, that, that I want to get that right in my attitude and surrender to your will about praying for those kind of people in all places, even though I may be uncomfortable, but do work in me in that. The second is this. I want you to begin to pray for your own whole to be right that you would make sure that you're walking in a way, honoring the sound doctrine, making sure that your own life is like patched rightly because you're clean to the word. And then third, we're going we're gonna to take a minute just to pray for people, okay? And, and so I'm going to walk us through that over the next couple minutes, okay? So let's bow. Heavenly Father, I, I just thank you for your word of truth. Lord, it certainly on days, it makes me uncomfortable. It, it confronts me, and I think just like Paul said, it it's... Uh, <laughs> It shows me the, the errors of my ways and the, the struggles of my heart. But at the same time, Lord, it, it shows me the hope that is in Christ and in Christ alone. And so, Lord, as I, I think about who we are as believers today, ransomed by the work of Christ, called to a higher calling, you have not only enabled us, but you're calling us to obedience. And so, Lord... As part of the, just a, a minute of reflection, Lord, I, I want us to, to, to come before you and confess if there's any people in our lives that we've, we've wrestled with, that, that maybe we've hold, held offense to or towards, or maybe that we've been judgmental towards, maybe we've been unaccepting of. Um, Lord, would we just confess that? And it may be an individual that we know. It may be a kind of people that we know. We've, we've built stereotypes and walls around. Lord, we just want to take a couple seconds to be reflecting of that and confess and repent of that. Heavenly Father, part of the reason I put it in this order is that through that confession and repentance, that's the beginning of us patching up the holes that, that may be in our lives because 
Lord, you've told us to, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we don't have that right, then Lord, we won't be tuned into other areas where we may have embraced some unsound truths, where, where we've made things like le- the law, the standard by which we operate instead of the grace of God. And so Lord, if there's false teaching that we've been clinging to because people like instead of like really understanding the hope of the gospel and people at work in people's lives we've been elevating our own standards we, we've maybe um, relinquished our, our health in relationship to you to false truths and, and, and instead of clinging to the person of Christ and so Lord if there's those things in our lives Lord, we, we want to make sure that we're right in that area. So we want to take a moment just to confess and say, Lord, we need to return to these truths. We need to return to the hope of the gospel above all else that, that Christ offers. So if we are wrong in that, Lord, we pray in just these quiet couple of moments that you would begin to help us identify those areas where we need to cling to the truth, to trust your spirit to lead us, to be dependent upon your spirit above all else, to bear forth the fruit of the word. Father, lastly, I want us to do this a little differently this morning. Um, Lord, I want us to, to just pray right where we are, but without raising our voices a ton, but Lord, at the same time, raising our voices, I want us to pray for people that we know. and Just name first names or maybe a position um, out loud. And it's going to be a murmur across the room. Lord, that's okay. It may be chaos to our ears, but it's sweet to yours. And so, Lord, we're just going to take about 30 seconds to lift up people. People that need your grace in their lives. All kinds of people. So that we fulfill this scripture well and rightly before you. So just, again, over the next couple of 30 seconds or so, we're just going to name names that we're praying for. That God would do a work in their lives to draw them to Christ. So, Lord, I... I do pray for our president. I pray for new school board director. Father, I pray for my brother. Father, this morning, what we long for is to be a church that is healthy. And so, Lord, we we know that the practice of prayer is one thing we've been reshaping again and again in our life. And, Lord, I think we're getting better at it. But Lord, I think at the same time, looking at this text today and reflecting on these things, the truth is we know we have a ways to go. And so Lord, I I pray this on behalf of our church, that, that we would take the message seriously and that we would surrender ourselves to you and Lord, we would be people that pray rightly for all people according to your will, according to your purposes. So, fathers, we go out today. Certainly, the, the, the takeaway is not just to reflect on these things, but to be doers of the word. So I pray that our prayer lives would be sensitive, more sensitive uh, as we move from today about these things, and we would see lives transformed because we're a church that prays. We love you and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.